The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and with me today is Nadia Oxford. Hello. And as usual, we will talk about RPGs, big and small, Western and Japanese, because it's a genre that we love. Mm -hmm. This week, we're going to be talking about reactions to Trails of Cold Steel 2. We're going to be talking about a little Steam simulation RPG thing that recently came out that has been piquing my interest. It's called Halcyon 6 Starbase Commander. And then we're going to talk about the big one. We are going to be talking about Dragon Quest VII, mm-hmm. which big. Nadia just got started. So, Nadia, uh, last week um, we talked about Trails of Cold Steel 2, and did. I was a little harsh on it. Well, I wasn't harsh <laughs> I on it, so. but I... But I did say that I, I wasn't a huge fan. And I think we had a very measured conversation, all things considered. Yeah. But uh, so naturally that generated a lot of conversation. Um, I will admit that I'm kind of kicking myself a little bit for overgeneralizing anime a little bit and anime <laughs> fans. Did you uh, hear about that? Um, there were people who were literally posting images in the comments and saying, is this anime cat? <laughs> Does this meet your approval, Kat? And I was like, yes, I, yes, that is anime. I mean, when I, but when I watch this, it's more, it's with kind of a different eye, I I suppose. But I I guess this is all to say that I actually am an anime fan. I'm Mm -hmm. just a fan of a very particular flavor of anime. And there are many different flavors of anime. There are very many, so. And Trails of Cold Steel 2 comes close, but doesn't really uh the the pacing doesn't really do a lot for me Mm -hmm. oh and in response to one of the questions uh Gurren Lagann is cool and insane and I approve of it though I'm not a big super robot fan I actually haven't watched that particular anime yet um it's on my to-do list my ever-growing to-do list but uh I haven't seen it it's good it's fun it looks um it's bonkers yeah People who like super robot anime versus like real robot anime, which mm-hmm. would be like the mock crosses of the world, tend to uh, prefer kind of insane humor, like just throw everything at the wall, like everybody's hot blooded. Yeah. To kind of the the more serious minded sci fi cheese mm-hmm. of mock cross or Gundam. Mm-hmm. And I prefer I, I prefer my drama with us. Extra cheese, royale sci-fi drama with cheese. <laughs> royale so, cheese, exactly. So, uh, different strokes for different folks. But the reason I brought it up was Alexander Barr sent me a pretty long email, and I wanted to excerpt from it really quickly because um, he had some thoughts on Trails of Cold Steel too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is interesting, actually. Uh, he told me that he hadn't really picked up the genre until a couple years ago um, when he heard Chris Kohler talking about Earthbound. And that was his not only first RPG, but his first SNES game. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and he's uh, been playing games since the mid-80s, including the Bard's Tale and the Commodore 64. So, this guy is not exactly young, right? Uh, Right. No offense, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not young either. Don't worry about it. 
Um, but this is what he says. All this is just to say that I don't have much to compare Tales of Cold Steel to, but I like its world and story. It has none of the aforementioned medieval elements. Uh, he was talking about how he always linked RPGs with medieval fantasy themes in his mind. Right. Uh, dragons, mages, works, grumpy old men with swords, that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, except for the mandatory monsters, and instead opts for a setting which, history-wise, somewhat resembles Central Europe, and particularly Germany of the mid-1800s, and technologically to the early 1900s. It mm-hmm. certainly does resemble Germany with regard to place names. At one point in time, I found myself on a bridge across the River Saar, which literally tra- tra- translates to Saarbrücken, the place I grew up in. Oh, nice. So yes, in short, the world is one that is fun to be in and learn more about, and the world characters are well connected to it. All that makes up for a lot of the indeed very slow burn that you are right to bring up. There's always the carrot, though, which they dangle in front of you in the first 20 minutes of the game to let you know that on 31 August, stuff will happen. The thing, however, which pretty much sold me on the game when I first learned about it during a podcast with the XC translator for Trails in the Sky second chapter was the fact that the protagonists of Trails of Cold Steel go to their adventures by train. And boy, do they do indeed talk about it. (laughs) All the minute discussions about which train to take, where to change, where the different lines are going, how long it is going to take, totally resonated with me. As somebody for whom many great adventures ever since I was nine started with getting my backpack and hopping on a train, this just completely hit home. But most people were very annoyed by the lengthy sequences of cut scenes in the train, which are at the very beginning of every chapter, but it made the whole thing connect with me. On top of that, the localization is excellent, and while they're indeed grindy dungeons, they are woven into the story, which makes sense. So there it is. Mm-hmm. I myself like the 90 hours I spent on the first part, and I am excited for the second, which should show up in the mail on second on Monday. So there you go. Oh, and he says that you're a great addition. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually a very interesting perspective, and I really appreciate it. So, so thank you for that. Um, I think both Kat and I, as North Americans, we don't have the train experience that Europeans and a lot of Asian people have. Uh, I might be speaking for you, Kat, here, but uh, uh, even as a city dweller, a Torontonian, we have public transit. We have like uh, trains in the in across the Greater Toronto area, but uh, in terms of just those trains that go that sprawl on forever and, and go across continents and well, not continents, sorry, but like uh, countries, I don't have much experience with those. Yeah, I didn't get. Uh, I grew up in a city that didn't get a light rail until I was in college. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, and even then, a light rail is a little bit different from a train. Just a bit. Yeah, I didn't really truly experience trains until i went to do europe uh took my first trip to europe back in 2005 and got to ride from amsterdam all the way to prague on a series of trains and that was a really neat experience Mm -hmm. and having spent some time in japan and having spent some time in europe like i can see for sure that trains are a real central part of the kind of the culture there starting from a very young age yes. uh, kids are fascinated with trains if you're in japan like there are lots of video games and books about trains trains just kind of dominate everything because i mean it's a part of your life right if you mm-hmm. live in tokyo just train you take the train every single day right so uh so yeah no, that was an interesting perspective and i i can see how it would kind of make you like go oh this is home, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is like making me go, if you're from Germany, and this is like looking really familiar. And by the way, I find it really interesting that it is a kind of 19th century game 
or has 19th century aesthetics and it's based on Germany. Uh, very interesting because mm-hmm. that was when Germany was very much in its expansionist phase. Right. Uh, I could see how that would like really resonate with you because I know, for example, that I played The World Ends With You in Tokyo in 2007 and I would pass through Shibuya like every single day on my way to work. Mm-hmm. And, like Shibuya was my place, like it was my favorite station. And so in that respect, like The World Ends With You so resonated with me. Yeah, and uh, it's funny how sometimes games are like that, because uh, we've talked in the past about how imperfect Scott Pilgrim was, the, the beat-em-up game, but uh, I loved it so much because, hey, it's Toronto. <laughs> yeah, it is Toronto, and this is the same goes for the movies. So. Yeah. All right, Alex, really good email. Thanks for writing in. Yes, um, thank and you. If you have additional thoughts on anything we talk about, I, I love to hear your thoughts. Uh, send them to cat.bailey at usgamer.net. And your email be, may be read on the air. In the meantime, Nadia, we've got some RPGs coming out. I ended up downloading a whole bunch of stuff just recently uh divinity uh, original sin 2 is about to hit um a beta or early access mm-hmm. or something to that effect yeah um uh, i think a code is coming in for that really soon um i downloaded this rpg called ember which is diablo-esque it's yeah, a symmetric nice rpg that one um yeah interesting um I was playing through the first dungeon and I can't get through past the first boss. <laughs> <laughs> Is he too hard or just uh Well, I can't figure out how to equip my my companion. Oh, that's a problem. Or heal him? Yeah, that's really a problem. <laughs> so what happened and I got this weapon and I was supposed to like get in a weapon with an ability mm-hmm. called double strike which was going to help out against the spider, but the chest I went to was empty. Oh. And so I was a little confused on that front. And so now I just go to the spider and I die every time. <laughs> Trying to fight a, a giant spider with your bare fists rarely goes well. Well, I have a really cool mace. Oh, okay. But it doesn't have the double strike ability. The the, the abilities seem to be inherent to the weapons. Mm-hmm. And then you attach them to a slot. But anyway, so yeah, I I got to the first boss and was like, oh, I think I might have to restart this. Um no, I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> is the uh, was the chest empty because of a bug, or you just have no idea? Uh, it might be a bug. Oh, that's it might be because I got like some kind of like epic drop or something like really early. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but or like I just kept checking it; it wasn't there, and I checked my inventory, and I can't figure out how to check my. Maybe my companion took it. I don't know. Maybe it <laughs> ended up on the ground or something. Maybe your companion took it, and they won't tell you. They just kind of hide it behind their back. I don't know. Oh, got it. Jeez. He would do that, that jerk. jerk. Well, that's okay, because the spider got him. So he, oh, well, joke's he got his. <laughs> Thief. But uh, the game that really caught my attention, and m- maybe if you follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot, you saw some of my exuberant tweets about it. Um, it's called Halcyon 6 Starbase Commander. Uh, did you see anything, me talking about this at all, Nadia? Uh, not you specifically, but it's definitely a name that's ringing a bell. I'm, I'm trying to remember why. 
So this game kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it's generated generated a little bit of conversation. Mm-hmm. And it shows, once again, that people are starved for really good sci-fi games. So right. the right. premise is that the Federation is basically destroyed by these like Cthulhu-like invaders like they're organ organic creatures they're coming in from interdimensional portals it's bad Mm -hmm. and you are in the command of the last kind of the last of the federation forces and you've taken over this base the starbase called halcyon six which is like this ancient like precursor starbase and is like has loads of rooms and stuff to explore and you've turned it into an actual base Mm -hmm. so the so the game involves building a fleet, um, exploring the rooms, like clearing them out so that you can build stuff. Um, when you're clearing out the rooms, you'll encounter like aliens to fight um, with your little with your ground crew and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes like little stories emerge, like there was a, a xenomorph-like creature kind of in the ducts, and oh. <laughs> I had to keep expending materials to like look around for them. The old classic. Um, and. You are also building a fleet, and you have a tactical engineering and science ships uh, to a piece per class. Mm-hmm. And you like put a an officer that you train up in command of them, and you go around to different planets. You fight the aliens. You fight the uh, you you fight. Well, yeah, you fight the aliens. You fight and pirates. You, you there's a big thing where you're fighting pirates. Mm-hmm. And at one point, it was like I could dispose of all the pirates. Or I could ally with one of the pirates and put him in charge and effectively turn him into a puppet. Oh. Yeah. So I I, I went with that option because I wanted, because I'm cynical. (laughs) I wanted to stabilize the the system. So I I put a pirate in charge. Uh, The the reason that this game is kind of interesting is that the combat is turn-based, mm-hmm. and it's almost JRPG-ish in its own way. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so you have three ships aside, usually, and you uh, use different abilities when your turn when your ship's turn comes up, mm-hmm. and your goal is basically to have inflict status effects on mm-hmm. the other ship, hull breach, um, you know, vulnerable, um, etc., weapons disruption... Uh, using different attacks and then using an attack from like one of your partnerships to exploit it in some way and do extra damage. Right. I'm actually always a fan of seeing the JRPG turn-based uh, menu stuff like in, in in genres where you typically wouldn't see it so much, and that would include sci-fi. That's because it is a rock-solid system. I let's agree. Just put the job system in this. Like, let's let's go. Yeah. Um. So, and th- and then you can also, you know, you can buff your ships with um, haste. There, mm-hmm. You can get haste really early on. Um, there are healing things. There's like adaptive armor, which will shield all of your ships. And as you build better and better hangers, you get better and better ships. So, awesome. combined with the fact that this game had like really pretty solid pixel art and particle effects, mm-hmm. I was like. Hey, I might have found like one of my five favorite games of the year. Oh wow, nice. Like I was pumped when I discovered this game. Hence the oh my god, like I am freaking out at how happy I am this game exists. Yeah, it definitely sounds up your alley because you're talking about JRPG combined with uh, sci-fi. Yeah, that's a that's a cat winner right there. <laughs> 100% cat approved. 
Yeah, I liked Infinite Space back in the day. Um, and there just aren't enough games like this. Mm-hmm. Like, I uh, and I the combination of the simulation elements where you're building up your ship with the RPG elements like really rung, like really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few caveats though. So, first of all, um, it's a bit bit of a grind. Yeah, of course. Um, Now that I've managed to spend a bunch of time with it, it's a bit of a grind. You send your your ships out to different planets, and you have to gather materials, Mm -hmm. and you have to gather them manually. Oh. And you you also get materials by, like, clearing out rooms, defeating enemies, that kind of thing. And the materials are your lifeblood. You have, like, dark matter, materials, and crew. Mm -hmm. And you need to use them all to build new ships, uh, build new rooms, keep building up your fleet so that you can keep up with the aliens who are also getting more powerful. Right. So it's a bit grindy in that respect. You spend a lot of time collecting materials, and I find that a bit tedious. Mm -hmm. That's understandable. But uh, for the most part, it sounds like it's a a pretty big winner. Uh, More caveats. (laughs) <laughs> or not I have additional yet. caveats um the combat gets a little repetitive too yeah and that's the nature of menu-based uh, jrpg combat to be honest with you i don't know like I've, I've been thinking a lot about like why exactly this is getting repetitive and all i can think is that is that it needs some kind of extra layer mm-hmm. like it took Darkest Dungeon a long time to get old for me because Darkest Dungeon had a lot of different layers mm-hmm. with its combat, including like positioning, like getting surprise on your enemies. Um, there are a lot of different ways that you could build up your your characters and equip things to them. So you have a, had a lot of control over your party composition in addition to a large number of character classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one does not have that. Right. Um, each class, like I said, has two ship types. And then as they go up in level, like essentially those ships level up and get bigger and more powerful and add another couple abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, needs more ships. <laughs> needs more ships is good advice for a lot of sci-fi games, I would imagine. Needs more ships and needs more customization and maybe needs more classes. Mm-hmm. But uh, it sounds like a good start. Is, is this an indie title? Yeah, it's an indie title. Okay, so... It's uh, from Massive Damage? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, interesting... Interesting start, but I think the strategy and the customization definitely needs another level. And then layer, and then there's one other caveat. One more. It does something that I find really obnoxious in games. What's that? <sighs> there is a point you can get to... Or there will be a point you get to where you need... A certain amount of like materials and a certain kind of material, and if you don't have enough of that, you're gonna lose. Oh, boo! So I find that obnoxious because I think that you should be able to play a game normally, and if you play it well, you can succeed. If you I play agree. it smartly, you can succeed. Right. I don't like games where if I don't know that I have to do this thing. Like, right from the start, I'm going to lose because it kind of invalidates the first run, right? It really does. And I, I'm really annoyed by that sort of thing because uh, I hate to sound um, self-important, but my time's valuable, man. It is. And it also just makes you feel like you've been wasting your time. Exactly. Yeah. So, it can be... If you're invested enough in the game to want to do that... Um, 
that can be kind of fun because then it becomes challenging. Mm-hmm. But mostly I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a that's a totally valid thing to hate. It also gets really hard mm-hmm. as you get higher in level. Like by like act two, um, your your space is just swarming with enemies. And I think that they need to balance it out a little bit. It sounds so this game was a Kickstarter project. Mm-hmm. And it ostensibly went to full release um, last week, but it is still it still has a lot of goals that it needs to hit, like stretch right. goals and that kind of thing. So, well, uh, kudos to them for getting the hard part done, which is getting the game out there. Yeah, um, really interesting game, and I find the premise terrific. Um, I kind of want them to either keep building it up. Or I want some other developer to take these ideas and run with them because mm-hmm. there is a lot of merit to them. Well, that's good to hear. It's always nice to see, like, um, I always like to see games that combine new ideas with old, traditional, well-tried ideas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm glad this exists. And more to the point, I just like games where I build fleets. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's not so much my cup of tea, but I totally understand the appeal. Really? Yeah, I'm actually, so. I'm not a huge sci-fi person, um, although, <sighs> yeah, I'm sorry, I heard that gasp, <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite games of all time, maybe we can talk about it sometime, is Star Control 2, so Ooh. Um, I'm assuming you've played that one. It's a classic. Of course, it's a big classic, but um, yeah, I'd love to talk about it sometime. Speaking of games that we are going to talk about now, let's talk about Dragon Quest Seven, nay, Dragon Warrior Seven. Dragon Warrior Seven. Dragon Quest. Nadia, yes. you've been playing the hell out of this game. Um, oh my God, yes. I don't even want to know how many hours you put into it. Sounds like you've quite far into it. Um, and I would like to hear your thoughts. Well, I am. I believe I'm in the home stretch. Uh, I, I'm definitely the getting home there. stretch. Oh my God. Well. I can't say for sure. I'm, I guess I should hesitate to call it the home stretch, but I've really been pumping my time into it. Um, I'm well over 50 hours now. <laughs> Damn, look at you. Yeah. And, and working, too. That's crazy. Yeah, and um, I, I don't know. I guess by the time this uh, this podcast is done, of course, my uh, review in progress uh, will be up and maybe even further along than it already is. Um, now, I haven't played the original Dragon Warrior 7. I can't remember. Cat, have you? Oh, hell no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, no. it came out um, on the PlayStation when I had a PlayStation, and I was certainly paying attention to it, but, I, okay, please don't judge me, but okay. I, you know, what had drawn me to the PlayStation originally was that I looked at Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII, and, you know, these games with these really fancy polygon graphics, mm-hmm. and I was like, hmm... Uh, Dragon Quest Seven looks a little mm, basic, it and does. and and you know, like I last week I was talking about Valkyrie Profile and everything, 
Uh, but Valkyrie Profile like immediately grabbed my attention because I like really good sprite art, and Dragon Quest Seven didn't seem to have that. Yeah. So that turned me off, and then the middling reviews turned me off, and I was like, "Oh, okay." So I guess, eh, and moved on with my life. Yeah, I don't judge you for that at all. I don't think too many people will because I will be honest with you, Dragon Warrior Seven for the PlayStation, it is not a pretty game, and <laughs> no. there is there if you even if you just look at still screenshots, there is very little difference I find between that and Dragon Quest Six for the fam- Super Famicom. So uh, the, the difference there is that one is a Super Nintendo game or Super Famicom game. The other is supposed to be a PlayStation game. And as you said, at the time, we had some pretty impressive looking RPGs. I mean, I guess for a lot of people, by that point, our idea of an RPG was was Final Fantasy VII. It was Final Fantasy VIII. These really impressive spectacles. Um, yes. But- so that, I mean, that was... A period where you had unskippable cutscenes, and that wasn't a bad thing because yeah. <laughs> they were so amazing. We wanted to see Knights of the Round 50 times. <laughs> yes, it didn't bother us. Nope, not when we were young and we had lots of time on our hands. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as Dragon Warrior 7 goes, as the kids say, ain't nobody got time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, not having played Dragon Warrior 7 myself, I can't say for sure, but I really get the impression that Dragon Quest... Uh, 7 for the 3DS really trims down a lot of what made Dragon Warrior 7 so agonizing. Mm. Uh, like, I've been asking around, apparently Dragon Warrior 7 didn't have a good map, just for starters. And just playing through some of these dungeons that um, kind of make a return appearance, I could really tell, like, if I didn't have the map, and I had to deal with random encounters, that would be a pretty agonizing journey. Because yeah. there's a lot of twists and turns, a lot of corridors, a lot of dead ends. Uh, but since Dragon Quest Seven uh, has the map and gets rid of random encounters, it's uh, a lot more. It's, it's a lot less painful to go through these areas. So it sounds like so. Okay, I, I suppose we should start with how Dragon Quest Seven or the premise of Dragon Quest Seven, mm-hmm. which is you're the son of a fisherman, yeah, um, you're- on an island, and you're friends with a prince. Yeah, that's uh, basically how it starts. It's actually kind of cute because... Young Jay Leno. <laughs> Young Jay Leno. Uh, that's a 2000 joke. Um, it was being kicked around slack, so I just had to tell it on this podcast because we love fresh jokes on this podcast. It's, it's still very accurate whether or not it's an age joke, but it's kind of Oh cute. my God, he looks more like Jay Leno than ever. He does, doesn't he? Just that big, long hangdog face. That giant shit. <laughs> that's what he kills enemies with. Yes. Oh, okay. That makes total sense. It's a special power. <laughs> But um, it's actually kind of cute because you do start on this island that's uh, in the middle of nowhere. As far as the people on it are concerned, that is the only place in the world that exists. So it's a very laid-back place. And yes, you are friends with the prince, but it's nobody really thinks anything of it. Like You can literally go into the king's bedroom and the guard is just like, oh, just make sure to wipe your feet, please. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're a big shot because your dad's like this high, like this... Like, he's not just a fisherman. He's, like, the lead fisherman. He is yeah. Mr. Fisher. He is, he is the king of fishermen. Um, and as you can probably imagine, living on an island, uh, the, anyone, who can, uh, anyone who's a proficient fisher is basically God. Yeah. Because otherwise yes. you're going to starve to death. So Dragon Warrior Seven was known uh, or kind of infamous for its really slow pace, um, mm-hmm. talking about pacing issues. Um, and it sound and Dragon Quest Seven for the uh, 3DS, uh, no less so. It takes a good hour to get to your first battle. 
Yeah, you're looking at about an hour and a half, but to hear uh, people talk about it, Dragon Warrior 7 took over three hours. So That's crazy. Yeah, it's actually quite unusual for Dragon Quest because usually Dragon Quest games have pretty strong starts. I mean, yeah, like Dragon Quest Eight, literally, like the first scene has you in a battle. Yeah, exactly. So that's the that's the one thing that disappoints me a bit about Dragon Quest Seven. Um, it's a little slow to start, but once you start, I I didn't really have any issues with the pacing. It, it's the kind of game where you're not sitting there for ages while people jab at you about the story. You discover things as you go along. Um, you you, st- you get into like a hefty amount of battles, and you kind of get these like little breaks where you have a little bit of conversation, but it's it's mostly an RPG of action, not an RPG of sitting around and wasting your time. Which is good. Um, so, a couple observations for me. Okay. Very pretty on the 3DS. It's a very nice looking game. I'd actually say, oh, this is a great game to see the 3DS out on, except uh, it's like three years old already in Japan, so... <laughs> And like I'm looking at these screenshots, and I don't think the screenshots really do it justice. No, it the characters, in particular, are really detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a pleasure to look at, it and, is. and that it's, goes double for when you get into an actual battle because you can see your characters actually attacking enemies, which yes. is cool. Yes, and uh, they're animated very well. Uh, every, yes. Each character is unique. They have their own like little attacks and gestures that suit their personality. As usual, it's. Uh, Akira Toriyama's style works really well with the series. Yeah, I think Akira Toriyama is like one of those kind of uh, artists where it's very much take it or leave it and always has been. And I know for a fact that Toriyama's art has turned plenty of people off on Dragon Quest VII or Dragon Quest in general, sorry. But over over time, like, it's really grown on me. Mm -hmm. Mostly because it just kind of, it really, even though... It seems like he has one style. He, he really uh, a does. Lot of the time. I, will, I will fully admit that. But the thing with uh, uh, Toriyama, pops. Yes, exactly. And um, one thing I'll say, I've said before, and I will say it again: nobody is a better monster designer than Toriyama. He, I agree. Yeah. His, uh, and especially with the way they're drawn and animated in uh, in Dragon Quest Seven, they're just so much fun to look at, and every attack is so is just fun to to observe. So how long does it take to get to the job system? Oh God, uh, it took me about 20, it took me about twenty five hours. Because uh, yeah, you, there was <laughs> you kept going. Bob kept teasing you on the the Slack channel and being like, "So you've gotten to the job system?" Yet? Yeah, <laughs> and you're no. like, "Uh." <laughs> no, it takes a while. Uh, but I will say one thing I observed in my review in progress is I really love how streamlined it is. Um, but this is where mm. I think maybe people who are really hardcore about the job system might diverge from me uh, about people who are really hardcore about job systems in general. Uh, because this game does not punish you uh, according to what you're wielding. Uh, for example, your main character, he's a sword wielder. Okay, no big deal there. But regardless of which job he takes on, he's still a sword wielder. And you do not get penalized, for example, if you want to be a a monk, like a bare fist fighter. You are not penalized at all if you want to still keep on wielding a sword. But it's not optimal, right? Like, like you're better off if you're just using your fists. That's the thing. I don't think that's the case. I think if you unequip your sword, you, you suffer that drop in in um attack power believe it or not Hmm. so i 
I can see why some people would be like, I really don't like this. But on the other hand, there are like something like 70 jobs <laughs> to master plus uh, not just the basic jobs, but like advanced jobs. And the thing with Dragon Quest jobs too is that it's not so much about the base stats as it is the spells and the abilities that you learn. So even though you don't really have any sort of added benefit to using your bare fists as a monk, you do learn a lot of bare-fisted attacks, like multi-fist, for example, which can attack four enemies at once. With the sword? Uh, yeah, but although you're an- in the animation, he attacks like punching. <laughs> so <laughs> so it- it's definitely... Uh, I-, I honestly don't know what the original Dragon Warrior 7 job system was like if he got penalized according to uh, the equipment you were wielding, but I just like the idea of being able to experiment on the fly and not have to worry about unequipping, equipping, can this person use heavy armor, can they use, you know, light armor, etc. That's a fair point. I think that the challenge that designers face when they're creating a job system Mm -hmm. is that if you give a player too much latitude, you can end up with some incredibly broken combinations. Yeah, I think I've already broken (laughs) my party. (laughs) Uh, There is a, a a class, an advanced class called Pirate, and he has... I gave it to uh, to Ruff, and he has a spell that's basically, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Kashwoosh, which is a, a standard uh, Dragon Quest spell, but it's basically a really powerful wind spell. And he has this spell as an ability that costs no MP, so he's going up against random encounters and just decimating everything in, in, in my path. And I'm like, oh, dearie me, I think I broke this game. <laughs> you know, on the one hand, I like having a little bit of challenge. Mm-hmm. On the other... It's a lot of fun to create just a totally broken character and watch them go to town. Uh, see anybody who's ever played Final Fantasy Tactics. Exactly. And uh, even Final Fantasy VI, where you could use the Esper system to completely destroy everything. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is even though I have this broken rough, um, the bosses still give me quite a challenge. So hmm. Dragon Quest bosses are, are kind of known for being a little merciless at times. And uh, yeah, I still come up against difficult uh, moments in battles with them. Oh, in what way? So usually the Dragon Quest that I've played, the Dragon Quest bosses usually follow a particular pattern, Mm -hmm. which is that there's no real gimmick to them. It's more just a a kind of a battle of attrition. Yeah. So you are trying to, you're buffing up your characters, you're trying to do like these alpha strikes, you're while also keeping alive and just generally trying to outlast the boss rather than using any particular tactic. Is that the case with Dragon Quest Seven? So far, yes, definitely the case. Uh, you're right in that Dragon Quest bosses tend to not have gimmicks so much as it's a battle of stamina, uh, especially since uh, in Dragon Quest games, uh, MP restoring items are quite rare. It's not like Final Fantasy where you can walk into any store and buy an ether. Uh, stuff like magic water and wizard rings, or prayer rings, I think they're called them. Wizard rings is a really old school term for them. Um, they are hard to come by, and you usually cannot buy them. And uh, as with all the other Dragon Quest games, uh, Dragon Quest Six, uh, sorry, Seven, uh, you're looking at bosses that attack twice in one turn. They debuff and buff like crazy. They have um, really powerful magical attacks as well as really powerful physical attacks that can hit for multiple targets. So, yeah, you're right. It's absolutely not a matter of getting around a gimmick. It's a matter of just planting your feet and going for it. 
Well, I like that you can debuff bosses in yes. Dragon Quest. Because oftentimes in RPGs, like debuffs just aren't going to work on, an, on a boss. Like mm-hmm. it's like it's either incredibly unlikely that it's going to land or it won't land at all. So you might as well not even try. Yeah. Whereas it's a legitimate strategy in most Dragon Quest games. Yeah. Uh, forgive me. I don't I don't recall. Um, do do certain elemental attacks do are bosses or enemies in Dragon Quest susceptible to certain elemental attacks? They can be. Um, I don't think it's quite as much of a, a strategy as it is in the Final Fantasy games or even other RPGs. But uh, yeah, they they have their their elemental weaknesses. Usually, they're pretty obvious. Like water dude's going to be susceptible to lightning. Probably not as susceptible to wind. That sort of thing. And then also. They, there are some bosses that are more susceptible to physical attacks and more who are susceptible to magic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, there's your strategy right there. I've always liked the boss battles in Dragon Quest because, as as you said, it's classical RPG, just hold on tight, you're in for, you're in for a rough fight. Yeah, um, As opposed to being like, oh, I know what I need to do with this against this boss. Yeah, so. it's really, uh, like I said, even if the random battles in a particular area are, are pretty easy, um, it doesn't pay to get overconfident because you can still get wobbled by the area's boss. Looking at the story, um, it looks like it follows Dragon Quest's kind of usual trend of telling kind of a series of vignettes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you start out on an island um, with your friend the prince, and um, over time you go on to a bunch of different islands, each one with kind of its own problem. Mm-hmm. Um, each island has, like, basically, it's not really a spoiler to tell you that um, the world, it's a, you just classic good versus evil struggle what um, spoiler <laughs> oh no i didn't see that coming and uh, you have to go basically go back in time using these tablets and uh, kind of restore these islands that are c- cut off from the rest of the world by darkness and as you fix these problems they rejoin the peaceful world in the present where you're from um, but one thing I, I really liked about this story is that, number one, not all the problems are the same. Some of them are very basic, like, oh no, monsters have taken over our town. But there are other like more fun, more interesting problems, like, everyone's been turned into an animal. How do we talk to them? Um, and even when you do restore things, do and you do think you cure these problems, you go back into the present to see, oh, how are they doing? And sometimes they're just fine, and sometimes... Uh, you find out you didn't you didn't fix the problem after all, or there's a new problem, and you have to kind of take care of that too. So, is there kind of an overarching na- narrative, or is, does it feel a lot more piecemeal, where it's like, and now I'm helping this island, and now I'm helping this island? Uh, as far as overarching narrative goes, it's literally just uh, at least the, the point where I am now. It's just the world has been shattered, and you have to restore it. And so, yes, the the storytelling is really kind of confined to those islands. Of course, you kind of get the, the impression that you're curing the world as a whole as you restore each part, but it's definitely more about what you do for individual places and people. 
How do you think it compares to other Dragon Quests? Because I mean, the first, my first thought that I when I hear that is that is that uh, a lot of other Dragon Quests have a more compelling narrative um, outside of maybe Dragon Quest Nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dragon Quest Nine's narrative was also very basic. I don't remember much of Dragon Quest Nine's story, to be honest with you. I know I, I really love the game, but I don't remember the story that well. I remember a tree, but there's a lot of trees in Dragon Quest games. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I just remember that you were a character that you created on your own. Yeah, that um, was kind of new. And you're dungeon diving and trying to uh, get different abilities and that kind of thing. I think there was a job system in 9. There was. Um, but yeah. honestly, I find I'm really invested in 7's story, believe it or not. Because like I said... Interesting. Those, um, like just to kind of try to talk about it without giving away too many spoilers it's like for example you restore one island and um okay that's done with but then you go into the present and there's just this whole thing going on with uh, one of the characters there is deeply in love with this other guy who's completely oblivious to it but you know it's just uh, she's dest- she's supposed to marry this other guy and the relationship kind of goes sour because her husband thinks she's still pining for this this guy that she never quite let go, and it, it all kind of has a, a very sad conclusion. Uh, but it's just the game is filled with little things like that. That's just nothing. I guess is not going to win an Oscar, but it's enough to keep me involved. So it's kind of emotion driven in the way that Dragon Quest V was, although maybe not quite as heartbreaking at times. How, how do you think about the? about the party because a lot of time in dragon quest the party is like one of the highlights of the story um i like maribel she's sassy um, yeah she's fun i like her <laughs> i also really like ruff um like i said on twitter before ruff is a uh he's basically a wolf boy who got turned into a human and um i'm kind of used to animes and cartoons and shows and whatnot that kind of portray wolves as these very wise very all-knowing beings connected to nature but Ruff is really more like a dog. <laughs> He's mostly concerned with, you know, can you be my friend? And like, you know, what's for to eat for dinner? So, he- so it's like Doug from uh, Up. Yes, exactly. Squirrel. Hi, I'm Doug. <laughs> I'm your friend. Yeah. Yes. So uh, oh, I he's wearing the cone of shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just picturing poor Ruff wearing the cone of shame. Oh. And he just he rides around on. His, it's essentially his adoptive mom. So I kind of like how they added that. I don't think he had that animation in the original. He was just like a regular old sprite. But uh, in Dragon Quest Seven for 3DS, he not only rides around on the wolf, because why the hell not, but he also implements that wolf in many of his attacks and skills. Mm. So that's a lot of fun. That is a lot of fun. So additional thoughts and or concluding thoughts. Um, I'm really enjoying the game. I mean, I am a Dragon Quest fangirl. I, I fully yes. admit that. <laughs> but, We've established this. Um, you've played all of them, right? Uh, I guess this makes all of them at this point, yeah. Have you finished all of them? Aside uh, from seven. I don't think I ever finished six. I just really, I liked it, but I couldn't really get into it. Really? Um, yeah. Interesting. But I, I finished most of them, and of course, I'll be finishing this one as well. Uh, not only because it's my job, but because I- I'm enjoying it and I want to see it through to its conclusion. And um, I definitely get the impression that the team, well, the team has outright said that they wanted to really kind of make this the Dragon Quest Seven that people could finally sit down and finish. So even though it is a very, very, very substantial media RPG, 
uh, like I said in my review in progress, I don't get the impression that I was wasting my time the way that maybe the original Dragon Warrior 7 would have. So while I still wouldn't recommend it for anyone who's scared of hefty RPGs, I still find it an easy recommendation. If you're, li- if you're afraid of hefty RPGs, why are you listening to this podcast? That is a good, good question. Maybe they Sorry, just like Bob. their voices. I know Bob's listening to this right now and shaking his head. This <laughs> is like one of his big bugbears. It's like he wants RPGs that are like maybe 20 hours long. But mm, This is not that RPG. There's nothing wrong with the odd like 70 hour, 80 hour like epic. No, no. Especially like I said, like it. this one doesn't feel too much like filler. It's, uh, it, it's all pretty good. I know that's kind of a lame way of explaining it, but I, I feel like it respects my time. So basically, uh, this kind of, you know, kind of repairs Dragon Warrior 7's uh, legacy because Dragon Warrior 7 was always known as the black sheep of the series. It was, and, and for good reason. So I really think that the team behind this one sat down and said, okay, what can we improve? What went wrong with Dragon Warrior 7? And they fixed what they could, which was a lot of it. Hmm. Well, that's really good because I think that for the longest time, Dragon Warrior 7, I, I know it had its fans. Absolutely. I know that uh, Tim Rogers is one of them because he, when I did a big Dragon Quest anniversary podcast um, on Roleplayers Realm back at GamePro in 2011, oh boy. he said that Dragon Quest 7 was his favorite in the series. And, uh, and I, I think that's a minority opinion. It is. Like, I'll be honest with you, I respect people who, who enjoyed the original Dragon Quest Seven, but I really can't hold it against people if they didn't like the original very much. Well, not only that, but it was also maybe the most inaccessible of all of the Dragon Quests, because all of the others have been remade mm-hmm. um, in so many different ways. Uh, where Dragon Warrior 7 came out at a really awkward time. <laughs> yeah, it did. It was like right on the cusp of the, the PS2, wasn't it? Or, or close enough. Around the transition uh, to the PlayStation 2, yeah. And it had, you know, really dated graphics. Yeah. And so, like a lot of RPGs that came out around that time on the original PlayStation, it kind of fell through the cracks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's really too bad, because when you think about it, it's like, People like myself, of course, we I was familiar with the, the history of Dragon Warrior by the time that game came out, even if I didn't get 7. And it, it was just kind of a shame to see this this legacy series fall so flat in, in the States again. And <laughs> it looked so... Yes, it did look so primitive and so unimpressive next to, to Final Fantasy at the time. And I, I just felt kind of sad about the whole thing. But it was also the one that you didn't spend much time with. I didn't spend any time with it. So, I mean, <laughs> you were part of the problem. Nadia. I was absolutely part of the problem because um, I honestly don't remember the exact reason why I skipped out on 7, but I'm sure I just didn't have the time, the money, and like you, I looked at the reviews and said, oh, that's that's really disappointing. Is there any other Dragon Quests that you wouldn't mind seeing remade in this kind of style? I would love to see 3 remade in this 3D style. I was going to say 3. 3, Absolutely. I feel like that's the one, well, two and three are the ones that American fans know the least right now, right? I would, because I would say Dragon so. Warrior 1 came out here, and of course, and everybody was like, oh, well, the people who did play it were, yeah. like, were into it. <laughs> uh, and then after that, like, it, even though two and three, did four come out here? Uh, yes, on the NES. 
Yes, it did. It yeah, did, but it's really two, hard three, to and find. four all came out here, but they uh, really went unnoticed. And yeah. then, of course, Dragon Quest four got five and six all, were all remade for the DS and came out here. So, and now seven is coming up for the 3DS, and of course, eight came out on the PS2. Mm-hmm. So that kind of leaves two and three as like the 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 unknowns for a lot of Americans, which yeah. is especially too bad because Dragon Quest three is considered. Well, it's I, I think it's Japan's favorite. It is definitely Japan's favorite. If you go by remakes alone, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, three is available on mobile phones here. So is two, but that's not the ideal way to play the games, really. Oh God, I, I mean, you can play it on. Can you play it on your iPad? I would think so. Um, but the thing is, I the games are. But it's locked not in- ideal because it's made for the for the um, the portrait mode. Yeah, they're locked into portrait mode, and that kind of takes me deal. off of it. Because yeah, so you can play it like one handed, and it's like basically it's meant for Japan because they they talking about trains again. They commute on the train, holding on to a uh, a pole or whatever, and you're just playing Dragon Quest with the other hand. You know that's nice, but that's not my life. No, um, and even when I was uh, coming home from work in Japan, and I was crammed into a train, I definitely didn't want to like pull out my phone and start playing Dragon Quest one handed. No, it wouldn't be very comfortable, would it? No, it would not be comfortable. It's not an optimal way to enjoy those games. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would always do, I mean, at, granted at the time I didn't have smartphone games to play really at yeah. that time. <laughs> but what I would always do is like I would listen to a podcast while I was like standing up and just like relaxing on the way home. And then when a, a chair would open up or like a seat would open up, I would just grab it ASAP and then I would haul out the ds or the 3ds or whatever and start playing so i had many 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 good commutes where i just was had my headphones on uh totally engrossed in like some rpg that i was playing on my ds and it was good times that's why japan is really the it was the birthplace of portable gaming because of chains we always like to try and take a game on its own merits but at the same time like I do think that when you look at the broader Dragon Quest series, it's it. I mean, it kind of bears comparison. So, what do you think? Like, how does it? How does the remake compare to the rest of the series? Um, I probably want to finish it before I make any hardcore decisions, but um, it's it's up there. I, I really am enjoying it very much. Um, although one thing I guess I should have mentioned earlier was uh, if you're not a fan of the newer localizations, it's kind of more of the same here. So um, I find that while I adore the, the different dialects they have for, you know, just like English and Irish, quote unquote, people, um, I find when they get into the, you know, the French, the German, that sort of thing, it just kind of laps into stereotypes and it's not as good, but... It's. I guess it's really kind of up to you what you believe, what you think. You know what other RPG kind of got this this treatment? Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy three on the DS. Oh, that's right. Yes, that God, it's been forever since I played that. But you're right. Didn't particularly enjoy it. Yeah, like the the dialect treatment, as it were. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it's hard to. My my recollection of it is pretty pretty hazy at this point, but. I, I found it really boring. <laughs> it can this be- one's a lot richer, um, and it helps that. Well, it helps that Dragon Quest had an established kind of history at that point by mm-hmm. two thousand, and so and you know RPGs were more advanced and everything. 
Um, and But it also came down to the fact that at that time, Final Fantasy games, it would be like odd number games were much more systems driven and even games were much more story driven. Yes. And three was really systems driven to the point of actually being kind of dry and boring. Yeah. And um, I I kind of gave up on it pretty early. Me too. Yeah. Sorry, Final Fantasy three. You're my least favorite. <laughs> even less than two? No. Final Fantasy two had some really messed up, uh, had some really messed up kind of systems and everything especially the whole like attacking your own party kind of thing (laughs) but (laughs) was it stop hitting yourself the game (laughs) hit yourself and save the world but it kind of introduced a lot of tropes that would become big in other later final fantasy games especially like the empire and that kind of thing that's true that's very true that's one thing the empire and the rebellion and all that stuff so i always found that kind of cool um, and it would always be packaged with the original Final Fantasies, so That's it was kind point. of fun to pick up. So you weren't really losing anything by just playing, trying out the game for yourself, because yeah, it was but, always with something else. But certainly 2 and 3 are two of the weakest Final Fantasy games. I would say that they're probably even weaker than 13, Yeah, which maybe is not a popular opinion, but I, I stand by that one. I think 13 is a much better game. <laughs> than an NES, a flawed NES RPG from the late 80s. That's a very bold opinion. A very bold opinion. But. <laughs> All right, Nadia, your review of Dragon Quest VII will be finished later this week. Yes, hopefully. I am definitely aiming to get it done this week. Sweet. And we will have you back on the show next week, um, and we will finish up our Dragon Quest VII discussion and then move on to Greener Pastures, because God knows we also have to talk about SMT4 Apocalypse. Yep, that's uh, it's coming. It's here. Wait, you haven't played SMT4, right? You haven't played SMT. No, uh, I think Jeremy is doing the review. But you have a code. Yeah, I gotta play. You that. better. You should play it. Yeah, I should. All right, this is the end of our episode. Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, various other places. Go download us, yes. review us, rate us. We, we love hearing your feedback, especially when it's good feedback because it makes me feel good. I'm a very insecure person and I need to <laughs> so hear nice I. things. Uh, so drop me a line at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot, as I already said. And, of course, you can DM me over at US Gamer. Um, you can find Nadia at Nadia Oxford, and you can find her on her blog, Tiny Girl, Tiny Games. Have you written anything interesting over there lately, Nadia? No, my life has been Dragon Quest. I haven't really Aww. had much time for supplemental writing, but uh, soon, I promise. All right. Promise? I promise, totally, 100%. Uh, as usual, we stream every Tuesdays and Thursday, um, sometimes more. Sometimes we have stealth streams. Surprise. So ch- check us out and subscribe at twitch.tv slash usgamernet and all of our various social media channels like usgamernet on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Um, until next time, um, let's see, next time we will see what happens, but I will mind talking a little bit about sports games promise it won't be the whole episode so (laughs) uh in the meantime uh so yeah i've been cat bailey thanks nadia for coming on the show as always no problem and until next time happy adventuring happy adventuring